Hello everyone, my name is Jared Altick, and I'm a chaplain with the police department. The Hey Chaplain podcast brings you stories and wisdom about life and law enforcement, giving support and encouragement to those who wear the badge. There is a stereotype that police officers transition over to become firefighters and EMS, but the reverse never happens. Ask any firefighter, and this is Exhibit A for why firefighting is supposedly the better job. But sometimes the career change happens in the opposite direction and the paramedic becomes a cop. Today I'm talking to Master Sergeant Greg Dorsett, who was not only a paramedic, but for a time was a medic embedded with the SWAT team. That experience led him to changing careers, leaving EMS, and becoming a police officer where he has now served for several years. Today you'll hear Greg describing his path that led from riding in the ambulance to training with the SWAT team to being a patrol sergeant. Listen for what he has to say about having a calling to serve people in their hour of need and also the advice he gives both to new officers and veterans about dealing with the demands of the job. I hope you'll also hear the genuine desire he has to be a help to households in chaos, how police officers have the ability to make a positive change in the lives of people in trouble. Here's Greg Dorsett. Greg, how are you today? Very good. Thanks, Jared. I wanted to follow up on a story that I heard at least part of when I was in the police station, and you were talking about how you got started in law enforcement, that you didn't actually start as a cop, but rather as a paramedic. And so I wanted to hear more about how that happened, and especially the transition from one completely different field to another one. And so, you know, how did you get started in EMS? Even as a teenager, I always knew I was going to be in some sort of service field okay. of some sort. Just influences my life, interests that I had. Um, several of my friends, their dads were in the volunteer fire department. I grew up in a little town in northeast South Dakota. So EMS, fire, everything's all volunteer. Right. So for things to get done around the fire station, the guys go down after work in the evening and clean or train or whatever they do. Well, right interesting teenage kids, you know, like, hey, let's go see what's going on. And the dads liked us being around, you know, as long as we didn't cause any trouble. And <laughs> and, and they love showing us stuff, you know, right. like like guys do. Right. And so that just really kind of piqued an interest. Um, I had started working for a family that um, they had multiple businesses. Okay. This family owned a furniture store, a funeral home, and they also ran the ambulance service. Oh, wow. I was the handyman. I moved furniture, I moved carpet, I cut grass, I cleaned cars. Though one family member that was the funeral director, he's like, are you interested in this stuff? I'm like, actually, I am. He goes, well, if you want to come with sometime, he goes, you know, I'll just kind of show you what I do. And and so I started getting exposed to the, the funeral side. Right. And his brother-in-law primarily ran the ambulance and the furniture store. Okay. So when I would be working with him, they would get a call and I'd be like, oh, what, what did you do today? You know, what was that call? He'd kind of tell me as much as he could. And right. finally, one day, he was like, you want to go with? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I want to go. So right. we hop in and we go. And and um, it was not a good outcome. I'll just, I'll leave it at that. Mm. But that really piqued something inside of me that that was a purpose that I had right. to to be a part of of helping people in their time of need, um, and that, that there was a definite calling into that field. 
So you saw something bad and felt that you could help. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And just saw this group of firefighters and EMTs and, and the law enforcement officers that showed up and they worked together so well for one purpose. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Um, it wasn't TV show like, it was real. And so fast track, I go to college that fall and right away I'm like, I'm going to EMT school right now. So I had my full load at at the uh, state college and I ran over to the community college and like, hey, I want to get into your EMT program and like, sure. How many classes are you taking at the state school? How many can I take? <laughs> well, you can have up to 12 credits because this is a six credit course. Okay, I have three. Actually, I had four. But So right. I carried a 22 right. credit load that that uh, <laughs> that semester, but uh, I had a blast. And right. so by Christmas of that year, I was an EMT. Okay. Um, came back for Christmas break and went and took uh, my state and national exams. So I had my certifications. And so I was able to now be on call with this gentleman that had kind of introduced me to all this. And um, that wasn't enough. So when I went back to school that, that uh, January, um, I had gone over. This was in Fargo-Moorhead, North Dakota, okay. a much bigger town. Okay. Um, it's about a hundred and. 80,000 now, I think. Okay. And um, got exposed by doing a couple ride-longs, this observation, and and just kind of really made a few friendships with some guys there. And they're like, hey, would you be interested in working part-time? Sure. So I just kind of got broke in that way, and I knew that's exactly what I wanted to do. Right. Um, so by I worked there for about a year and a half part-time. Um, after my second year in college, I decided... I, I'm no longer interested in being a mortician. Um, I want to be a medic. And so that third year, I went to paramedic school there, which was also the school was run through the ambulance service there. So okay. I did everything at one spot. It was perfect right. I mean, as far as like doing my clinicals and ride-alongs and as well as being able to work some and support myself. And um so one of the guys that worked at the ambulance service was also, actually a couple of them were sheriff's reserves. They okay. did part-time things with the sheriff's department, and all the cops came in there all the time. And sure. I was immediately drawn to that side as well. Right. But I'm like, well, I already have this training, right? so I'm going to run with it. Um, fast forward, about two years later, I was 18 months, I was like kind of really bored as far as the way things were going in North Dakota. And and so I decided to come down here, and I um, was hired by a company called Emergency Providers Incorporated, and they were the contract for what was then called Mast Ambulance, right. which covered all of Kansas City, Missouri, and eventually into KCK. And um, just was having a blast. Mm-hmm. Um, just the experience you get in a metropolitan area and the opportunities for better training, um, just... The ER docs that will yeah. share things with you. I mean, just your knowledge base is just huge. Yeah, I've heard people talk about the um, adrenaline rush of, oh, of yeah. doing a call in a major city. Did you have a lot of calls like that? I mean, was that typical of your experience? I mean, I also oh, know there's a lot of waiting so. also. <laughs> you know, I mean, police, fire, EMS is 99.9% sheer boredom. Right. Intervened right. with 0.1% sheer terror. Right. And you kind of balance. Um, yeah, I mean... 
downtown Kansas City, Missouri can be crazy at times. Sure. Same thing with downtown Kansas City, Kansas. Sure. So you're seeing things like drug overdoses, gunshot wounds. Daily. That kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Daily. Okay. So when uh, Mass had come over to Kansas City, Kansas in 1995, I had a fair amount of experience and was a part-time field supervisor, kind of like being like an acting sergeant, kind of filling in for somebody. And they needed some more supervisors, so I was um, asked to be a supervisor over here in Kansas and um, was having a great time. Had a new group of people, were moving into a new area, and there were a lot of growing pains with fire and um, KCK fire, but you know, as long as you go into a situation wanting to find a solution, you'll find it. Right. And there were some personality conflicts, and like, hey, just, let's just do it to the job. Let's leave the rest of this out. Sure. And so I made some good contacts there, and with the police department, and right. Uh, what was kind of the defining moment, the segue between EMS and law enforcement? Um, my big segue. Or the kind of the big defining moment um, in wanting to pursue law enforcement more was um, so when SWAT would do a warrant or a call out or whatever, mm-hmm. they would call and have an ambulance do a standby just in case something happens. Right. Well, the mass dispatchers kind of screwed that up. Oh, no. Broadcasted over the radio channel, which was not encrypted. So all the media sources picked up. And here the SWAT team is ready to make entry in this house. And there are news vans circling the block of the house that they're on. And the um, lieutenant over the SWAT team at the time and the major that was the night commander were not pleased. Sure. And so I was requested to go meet with them. So so let me get this straight. So you have... A SWAT team's going to make some kind of entry. They're going to serve a warrant. They're Mm going to do whatever they're going to do. And it's policy to have EMS standing by. Right. But having EMS, having this other agency, this other, actually, it was a company, right? Private company Mm -hmm. at that point. uh, Them being available forecast what was happening and so the news the news found out and then right. there's just everybody's showing up you don't you don't want the SWAT team to be the last people there uh, right, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay somebody's sitting inside of the house that you're serving a warrant on watch you walk up how inviting <laughs> okay so there's conflict there between conflict. the EMS company you work for and the police department yes what happens so I'm requested to go meet with uh, the police department's night chief and the lieutenant of the SWAT team. And to make a long story short, I think I probably lost about 10 pounds of my rear end that night. <laughs> well, they couldn't have been happy. And, and, and both these guys are great guys. I've known them both for a very long time, um, but they were very firm in, in their feelings about that night. Yeah. yeah. And um, I said, I will, I will make... It a first priority to get this straightened out, and so I did some thinking, and and I had been thinking about I've been reading about this um, concept called um, tactical medicine, mm-hmm. where um, EMS companies, or whether it be a, a private provider or a public provider like a fire department or even a third service ambulance service, um, was sending people to um, tactical medic programs, mm. um, and they would integrate. With the SWAT team. And right. You'd embed a medic with the SWAT team. Exactly. Right. And um, so I did a little digging on that, and and uh, I went down and talked to the uh, SWAT team lieutenant, and I said, what do you think about 
doing this and explained it to him and gave him some resources at other mm-hmm. places that were doing it. And he's like, I wanted to do that 10 years ago, <laughs> but no one around, no one else around here wanted to do that. Sure. He goes, I didn't have this concept. He goes, but something like that. I yeah. said, okay, let's, let's start meeting and working this out. And so I had some pushback from my company, and he had some pushback from the PD side. And it is and difficult to make any bureaucracy, any yeah. institution change, and especially that's, a public-private. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like who's responsible for what? That took about eighteen months. Oh wow! Um, it was frustrating, but um, we finally got the go. Okay. And um, so, so it was your idea. But would you be the medic to do that first? Did you ever get to actually? I did fulfill yeah. that role. Yeah, yeah, okay. I did. Um, I got some people interested from the EMS side that were willing to commit some some of their own personal time um, for training, just kind of planning, getting things done. And uh, we went to a uh, training up at Camp Dodge, Iowa. Okay. Uh, that was put on by uh, the U.S. Park Police and the Department of Defense. It was called Contums Counter Narcotics Tactical Operations Medical Support. Okay, it was a week long SWAT class for medics. I mean, excellent. You think about, um, you know, they're training you to work in an environment that is hostile. Yeah, and so <laughs> we had one night operation that was sixteen hours long. We went all night long. They're out there shooting over your head, blanks, explosions going off, and you're actually supposed to diagnose this patient and get your treatment plan done and going. And and um, I mean, it was it was intense. And um, we came back, and it just the, the the guys that were on the SWAT team here really um, embraced the idea, um, made a lot of good friendships there, and. Started spending a lot of time with them there and going out with them on calls and go to the range when they train. And, and these medics are are now trained, but they're not sworn officers. No, we were not sworn officers at all. Okay. Um, we were not allowed to. And that was that was before concealed carry in Kansas or anything else. So right. us carrying a firearm was not even a broach topic. Right. right. Um, but, I mean, right in the middle of the pack, you got... Six officers in front of you and six SWAT officers behind you. I'm not too worried. Right. Um, but that being said, at some point you made an actual entry for the first time. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was it was, it, and just had a blast doing it. I oh mean, good. Those guys. I mean, yeah. the, the guys that were there really wanted us to know what they knew as well. So when we go to the range with them, they're putting us through drills that they would do. Right. And just giving us the full experience and. I was like, I don't want to change careers now. <laughs> About how old were you? Um, I was twenty-seven. Okay, so late twenties. Yeah, already pretty invested and, in one career. And I loved what I did. I mean, yeah. I had gotten to do everything I wanted to do. Flew on a helicopter when I was in Fargo as a medic. Did neonatal intensive care transports right. all over because. I mean, rural North Dakota is like rural Kansas. There's nothing yeah. out there, so yeah. you got to go a long ways to get. High level care. Yeah, transport's a big deal. Out yeah, in the Midwest. Yep. Yeah, but I started looking at the the bigger picture: retirement benefits, time off, um, mm-hmm. insurance. Which back in those the mid nine mid to late nineties, a small private company just couldn't. 
they, they couldn't offer a pension. They couldn't right. offer, you know, Cadillac insurance benefits that, that a city could. And, right. and so talking with some of the guys that are on the SWAT team at the time, they're like, you're not making a bad decision if you go this route. If this is what you really want to do, I mean, it'll work out long run for you. And right. that's how I ended up here. So how long were you a medic attached to the SWAT team as a non-sworn personnel? Um, about three and a half years. Okay. Okay. And so you had had a work with the beginning of the idea. You'd had a working relationship then with the police department for well, about five years. Five, yeah. Five yeah. years worth yeah. of, of knowing them and being around them or mm-hmm. even working with them at times. And so, so what did that, I mean, I'm just insanely curious, you know, what, what happens when you say, okay, I'm going to change careers. I'm going to start over in a different field. I mean, how do you, how do you convince your family? How do you, how do you get on board with that yourself? You know, everyone's like, well, you're, you're a medic. Right. You should go to the fire department. I'm like, no, you can shoot at me all day long, but I am not walking in a burning building. Now, now that is a question I had. Did, did, did you know at that point? Because right now, Mass doesn't serve Kansas City, Kansas. I don't even know if Mass still exists. No, and, and they so were, they were absorbed by the Kansas City, Missouri Fire Department. Was that anticipated? Did you did you know that that was going to happen? There had been some push coming, but I didn't. That did not come until some years later, probably probably two thousand seven. That masked like Okay, KCK. so that didn't factor into no. your decision necessarily. Uh-huh. Like, oh, okay, I have no choice. It's either become a cop or become a firefighter. You know, yeah, it, right. you, you had the right. option of staying put. Oh, yeah. Right. Yep. So how do you convince your family? My mom was the toughest one. <laughs> and so I had to make the simplest answer. And I right. said, Mom, I'm not going anywhere that I didn't go before. Just mm. now I can shoot back. Right. right. And, of course, her eyes get big as saucers because, you know. She you needed really... to shoot back? <laughs> <laughs> um. You could have been a mortician. I could you know? have been a mortician. <laughs> you know, and your customers never talk back and they never give you a hard time. <laughs> I don't know about that. But I do think they shoot less frequently. They do. Right. They yeah. Do. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> you know, they. my parents were always very supportive, though. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I graduated the academy, um, let's see, my son would have been eight then. He pinned my badge on. And that's oh, kind of one of yeah. those lifetime things that sticks in your head. Um, you know, they were always supportive. Even though I worked midnights for a long time, my dad just wanted to see what I did. So he came in one night and rode from 10 p.m. till 2 a.m. until he was about ready to pass out in the car, and I took him home and mm-hmm. just to kind of see what things look like. Um, now, I know it's not too unusual to have somebody in their late 20s or early 30s become a police officer. That's I've seen that several times, seen guys even older than that. Mm-hmm. Um did you feel like you had more, not just more life experience, but specifically, I mean, you'd already made entries with the SWAT team before you ever did first day at the academy. Right. So did that, did that, do you feel like that gave you a little bit of a leg up just in knowing the culture or knowing the jargon or some other way, perhaps? All of the above. Okay. Um, just the experience of seeing how officers work together and mm-hmm. why they did what they did and already having a good grasp of that really gave me a leg up in the academy when we got to tactics and dealing with people and defensive um, tactics and firearms. Right. Um, it That seemed felt more like a refresher almost. Right. You know, 
Um, it had really prepared me, I think, in finding my, what, what my long-term purpose was. That I didn't see it at the time when that cooperative effort came forward, but right. it certainly defined the next 22 years. In that transition, was your ambition to work your way back onto the SWAT team as an officer, or did you, by the time you made the change, was were you thinking I was going to be a patrol sergeant or that I wanted to be... Something else. Oh no, detective I, or... I absolutely wanted to go to SWAT. Okay. Um, except we're a union shop. Right. So seniority, especially back in the early two thousands, there was not a lot of turnover. Right. Um so there was a ton of competition for spots that opened up and guys that had waited for ten, twelve years to get on. Mm. They were right. getting their shot and here I am a three year guy and Right. Well, I don't have a chance. Right. So by the time my seniority got me to the point where I could get on the SWAT team, I had a family and young kids and and working. Those hours was really not conducive. The, yeah. pay, the being on call thing isn't always so hard or the flexed hours, but um, I just got to the point where that wasn't the right thing at the right time. Right, right. Um, so then I decided to promote and... I wouldn't change it. Change wouldn't change it for the world. Okay, you took a sergeant's exam. I presume it worked that way back then. Correct. Uh, and and do you think even at that stage? I mean, now you've been in for at least three years. Okay, and so do you feel like that previous experience in EMS helped even at that stage? I think it always helps. Okay. Ninety nine percent of the time, we're the first ones there. I can look at somebody and know if they're critical, whether it be medical or traumatic or or whatever, and say, "Hey, we got to move. You guys got to move." Have you ever had to uh, intervene medically before EMS could get to you? Uh, to a limited extent. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm no longer certified as a paramedic. Sure. So sure. And. That's really not part of our job description, of course. At, at least the way we work. Some places, uh, some departments do have more of a first responder role um, as far as um, carrying a AED or, or right. expected to provide some sort of medical care. But right. um, especially in a metro area, you're going to have at least an, a pretty good response time. Oh, from yeah, you're going to have an advanced yeah. life support pumper there. Very quickly, if not that and the ambulance. Sure. But, but have you ever been in a situation where there's there's a bleeding wound or something like that? And you're like, okay, step out of the way, guys. I'll assess this. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think of a num- numerous um, like shooting calls and that sort of thing where, and I don't blame fire or EMS one bit for wanting to hold back a mile. Sure. You know, when sure. we, we don't know exactly where it is or what's going on when we get there, and you get there and someone's got five or six holes on them, and it's like, yeah, we need to do something the next minute here because <laughs> this is a lot of blood. Right, right. And you're um, better equipped to assess that, you know, and understand absolutely. what's happening sure. than most of the other officers would be. And then this, even once fire does get there, I know 75% of what they're doing. I'm like, hey, I'll set that up for you. Oh yeah, right. that's right. And and a lot of I mean a lot of the guys are, they're still on right. the job. Yeah. They knew that I was a medic. Right. So they right. are like, oh yeah, that's right. You know how to do this and throw me something. I'll set it up and right. Um, just understanding what their next protocol is going to be because somebody will ask, oh, what hospital are they going to? Are they going to Providence? Yeah. No, that's not a trauma center. They're going to KU. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. 
Now, I just heard an officer days ago say, I hate firefighters. And he went on a rant because he did very stereotypical, right? You know, the typical, you know, what do you think? Cops hate firefighters, vice versa. And, oh, I, I don't know if I'd ever actually heard it out loud. He was serious. He was like, oh, they're the worst. And they've stepped all over the scene and whatever. Uh, have you ever been defensive? For EMS and that kind of thing, I'd be, I mean, I assume you've probably heard those conversations. You oh, know, it's yeah. very stereotypical. It's that rivalry. Yeah. There's always the ongoing rivalry, and it's great. My my son-in-law is a battalion chief, and oh, yeah. so <laughs> we have we have great lobbing of bombs at each other. But, uh, um, you know, I I know their job. And it's not easy to do it and try to not touch anything. Yeah, I want a clean crime scene for the investigative purposes. But our first priority is to help somebody whose life is in jeopardy. That comes first before anything. Right. You know, so, so don't take yourself too serious and get all bent out of shape. If you yeah. want to rant about a fireman, it's great because they're probably ranting about you back oh, in the station in too. Oh, in both cases, ninety percent of that ranting is just venting stress. Oh yeah, and so yeah, yeah, I get that. I mean, the the meme wars that go back and forth yeah. between police and firemen are epic. <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, they are. So, so w- when you transition to law enforcement, what was maybe the biggest surprise? Uh, what what happened? Because you'd been, been exposed, you already knew a lot. But but what was your biggest surprise going into law enforcement? Getting called sir. Oh, really? I, I mean, I was always raised to be polite and sir and ma'am, but I don't know. I, people don't address, at least that I ever observed, uh, um, medics and EMTs and firefighters that way. But when, when an officer shows up and he's got a badge on, he's got his gun on his hips, I'm like, oh, yes, sir. No, sir. It was just kind of strange. It still is. It's still awkward right. sometimes. Right. And most of the time, it's it's people like you that I know and guys that work for me, and they call me, sir. I'm like, stop. <laughs> <laughs> we know each other. Yeah. It's funny that there is a difference because coming in as a chaplain, so I'm an outsider to both departments, and I go into the fire station, and everybody introduces themselves by their first name. And yeah. the police department... Or their nickname. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Very casual. Mm-hmm. Very laid back. Can't even tell who the captain is. Can't tell who the chief might be unless you just see a white shirt. Uh, but with the fire, with the police station, rather, uh, you walk in there, and there is a much more military-like mm-hmm. formality. And not everybody has that. Some people are very casual and very friendly. But at the same time, there's also... oh. You know, we're serious. I'm going to address you as sergeant. You know, and, and there's a place in whatever. Time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So culturally, there's there's a difference. And like I said, fire station. I know people's first names. Police station. I know people's last names. And that just there's just a little bit of, of a familiarity, uh, you know, and formality kind of difference right. there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what are the pros and cons of switching? There's probably other people who are thinking, you know, I could I could do that. I could get into law enforcement. But but there's there's pros and cons to anything, so so just I mean off the top of your head, what's the what are the pros and cons to switching from another field to law enforcement? I'll take EMS for example. You have this challenge in front of you, this person that's seriously ill, gravely traumatized, and it's a race. Mm-hmm. It's a race. You're not going to fix them. You're not going to solve them. You're not going to cure what is wrong with them. But the goal is to get them someplace that can. 
Right. And so it's this time frame. Um, I segue that into law enforcement. We don't fix people's problems. We help come up with a solution. But there are those times where you really impact somebody's life. Mm-hmm. Um, people always say they love firemen. Because A, either they're saving their house or saving their family's member's life. Right. Um, it's, all, it, it's all positives. Even though something bad was happening, law enforcement has those negative sides. Yeah, we have to arrest people sometimes. Mm-hmm. We have to take away their liberty. Mm-hmm. But if you flip that over, somebody was the victim on the backside of that. Yeah, yeah. Most of the time. You just impacted one person, but that branches out in so many different directions. Their kids, their family, their job. With the authority that we have, we also have an incredible amount of resources to plug people into. We we can spend more time investing in people. Right. um, Just following up with them. I mean, that's one of the best. My crew is fantastic. They follow up, they follow up, they follow up. They don't just... Walk in, write some reports, say, okay, good luck, here you go, this is what you got to do. They go back. Yeah. Hey, how is this going? Yeah. And then they go back again. And Yeah. I've seen several times things, uh, actions by officers that I would almost describe as parental. Oh, where, so. where they are intervening into a chaotic family. It's not just citizens. They're, they're families. They're households. Mm-hmm. And, and they are coming in and they're... they're mediating conflict even if they're not making an arrest mm-hmm. they're they're mediating conflict they are are trying to reason and work through like okay what's our game plan for this family moving forward so that we don't have another outburst or another act of violence or whatever and it's very i mean can i say paternal i mean i think most people hear paternalism they think that in a bad way but but what a good loving father or mother should do to lead a family. I've actually witnessed officers doing that. And as far as I can tell, they're strangers, you know, to those particular citizens, or at least not super familiar, but, but they step right in and contribute in a way that I don't think a lot of people expect. Absolutely. And I, I feel like that kind of is it, that's, where you were talking. That's exactly where I was going. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not what I have the authority to do. It's what we have the ability to do. Yes. yes. You know, to just, like you said, reach into a, into a household that is in chaos, and yet you walk in the door, and you're that guy in uniform. Mm-hmm. And even if they don't like you, maybe they really have not had great experiences with law enforcement, but they'll listen. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, when you start giving them some tools to at least for a short term deal with their situation, and because nobody likes that, nobody right. likes that chaos and conflict and right. and fighting, and and even if it's a thirty minute timeout. Yeah. To just say, hey, come on, come over here, talk to me. Tell me what's going on with you. Yeah. Why why is this happening today? But the but the calling that you said you felt all the way back in the day, you know, riding in the ambulance, you know, and, and working with those people and getting into EMS, that calling is extended in the law enforcement career you now have in that you're still helping people. Right. You're not just bandaging a wound, you're you're helping in other areas of their life. As well, exactly. in their family's life. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What are the? Is, is that both a pro and a con? 
because that's stressful. It, yeah, it, you know, it is. I mean, when you when you've dealt with somebody maybe 10, 15, 20 times, you kind of get a feeling like they're never going to get it. Yeah, yeah. And then you see, I, I've seen that too. I've seen yeah. officers that are like, okay, this is the you know third time in the last you know few months or whatever that we've been out here mm-hmm. and. And we're going to have the same conversation with the same person. And before they even go, they're a little bit mentally uh, fatigued. Mm-hmm. They're exhausted because, they're like, boy, this is, I'm going to just go beat my head against the wall again trying to talk to this person. Yeah, why am I wasting my effort? It's what it feels like. It, it, it yeah. does. It does. I mean, it, it takes a lot of intentionality to, to go into every situation trying to come to a resolution. Mm-hmm. Um. But then you get those. I remember I was working downtown midnights, and we ended up at the same house several times for numerous different reasons. And there were some young kids there, and they weren't doing bad stuff, but they didn't have great examples. Um, and one night, one of them was out kind of doing some stupid stuff, and he was breaking some windows and just jacking around, being a clown. And and um, I had arrested him and. Um, the guy whose property he had broken, he's like, I don't want him in trouble. Hmm. I'm like, okay, we'll get your mom here. And while he was waiting for his mom to get there, I'm sitting there talking to him. I'm like, why are you doing this stuff? I was like, oh, I don't know. And I said, you got to think about that stuff. And I think he was 15. And it was my last year downtown on midnights. And uh, I was on some call. wasn't anything big and this guy goes, hey, I know you. I'm like, okay. I get that a lot. Yeah. He goes, do you remember me? And I'm like, no. He goes, you talked to me when I was in the back of your car the night you arrested me for breaking all this guy's stuff. Oh. I'm like, it still didn't even come back. Right. You know, I, I'm like, okay. He goes, well, you kind of talked him into not prosecuting, and my mom came and got me, and and it started to come back to me. And I'm like, well, what are you doing now? He's in the Marine Corps. Oh, wow. I'm like, kid, that is awesome. It's not something huge, but you didn't get in deeper trouble. Right. You you found some purpose for your life that can give you a chance at an education and some discipline and yeah. making yeah. a change. And it wasn't that big a deal, but, you know, it was kind of one of those things that just always sticks with you. Yeah. Well, and nowadays, if he had been... Uh, convicted of anything too serious, he probably couldn't have gotten into no. the Marine Corps. No. And so, yeah, yeah. Huh. Well, it makes a difference what law enforcement does, and that is a big con to transition over, or a big pro, rather, to transition over to that. It can be a con at the same time because yeah, it takes it's... a toll on the individual. Uh, you need to have good resources around you. You need, mm-hmm. to, you need to be thinking about your own health uh, in that regard, how were you able to stay in long term? Because because now you're one of the senior guys, you you have uh, the experience and the rank and and everything. How how did you last this long in law enforcement? You have to be intentional. A doctor doesn't stop learning. Okay. Um, a lawyer goes to continuing ed classes every year. The law changes. Right. The same thing with law enforcement. You have to be continually learning, reading blogs, reading articles, watching videos. Even if you're just goofing off on YouTube and watching some body cam video, right. you can learn something. Right. 
oh, man, he really did that right. Yeah. And you can incorporate that. I encourage every one of my guys every year when we do our, our evals twice a year, I'm like, hey, what do you got planned for this year to go to some outside training? Better yourself. Mm-hmm. Invest in yourself. That's one step. Two is self-care. You have This job does not identify you. Yeah. It's not who you are. It's what you do. Mm-hmm. That's hard for some people. Yeah. Because the job will never love you. Yeah. It, it's, as much as you love the job, it will never love you back. Right. Because sooner or later, you're going to get some bumps and bruises. You're yeah. going to do something wrong. You're going to take some discipline. Or you do something that just ends up really bad. You didn't intend to. Yeah. But everything we do has consequences. You got to be ready for that stuff. Um, you know, we had a graduation for the police academy last night, and I was sitting there in the back of the room watching that and thinking that for those 11 individuals, this might be their best day in law enforcement for a little while. Might be. Uh, they they're going to come out. They're going to be the new guy. They're going to to you know their their sergeant hates them, and it's unfair that I have to work this overtime. I don't hate anybody. Yeah. <laughs> But they're going to feel, they're going to feel like I have made a terrible choice and it's hard, I think for some, not for everybody. Some people come in and they love it. They take like, like a fish to water, Mm -hmm. but, but others come in and and I think it's just hard to adjust. It's hard to work this job and do these things and keep all of that juggled in your head. And, and it's, it's just difficult and stressful. And uh, they may not have developed the resources or done the intentional things yet. Maybe they're trying to get that ball rolling, but but they're not really, they haven't figured out how do I take care of this kind of stress in my life without it becoming destructive. Right. And, and they haven't sorted that out yet. And so the next few years for some of them might be really, really, really hard. It's, it's another thing that I tell the new guys. I said, find somebody on the shift who you can tell has their stuff pulled together mm-hmm. and stick close to them yeah. because you will learn the job better. You will learn good habits. And, and I don't mean just work habits. Is this guy going out to the bar every night after work? Yeah. Or does he go to the gym every day before work and he takes care of himself and he makes sure he's getting some sleep and he's kind of preparing for the week knowing that he might have some overtime coming. It's like, who wants to come to work knowing you're going to work overtime and you've only had four hours of sleep? That's yeah, that's dumb. Yeah, I tell people to compartmentalize. I, I speak at the academy, and and you know, I say compartmentalize yeah. your mentorship. Uh, there's some people you want them to influence you on how to write a report or how to find a stolen car, but there's other people you want them to influence you on how to maintain a marriage for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And and those people may not be the same people. No. And so you need to compartmentalize. Some people, you, I am going to model myself after this person because they are an ace and they're the best at that one thing. And I recognize that it's that one thing. It's being a detective or being a, a great family person mm-hmm. or whatever. That's the one thing they're really good at. I don't have to follow all of their patterns and, and pick and choose. And I think that's, that's, a, I think that's wise because, because we don't all have this figured out. And that leadership starts at such a low level, even if it's just a two-year guy working with a brand new probie. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be a sergeant supervisor. It doesn't have to be your captain. That leadership yeah. is multi-leveled, even without a title on it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You know, I I said a couple minutes ago, life comes with its bumps and bruises, and I've had to work through those. Sure. 
you know, where there were days I just, I didn't know why I was going to work and why I continued to go to work. But you have to be willing to put in that hard work too and dig out of that hole and figure out why, because you have a purpose. Yeah. And, you know, I've been in first responder work for 33 years and I still love putting on the uniform every day. Yeah. It's, it's always an adventure and, and um, just love going in and seeing my guys. It's awesome. It's the yeah. greatest show on earth, right? Yeah, it absolutely is a show. <laughs> well, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for talking about this transition, yeah, this, absolutely. This, this move through your careers uh, one after another and, and how that has worked out for you. I pray that it's been a blessing to you and uh, thank you for what you've done. I appreciate it. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Jared. When I attend roll calls as a chaplain, I always check in with the sergeant first. Hello, sergeant. It's the chaplain here for a roll call. Greg was probably the first sergeant to actually call me by name. Heck, he might have been the first one to make eye contact. But as the other sergeants eventually warmed up to me over time, I'll always appreciate that Sergeant Dorsett was the first one to really encourage me to keep showing up to the police department. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate it. Also... If you're serving your community right now as a cop, firefighter, EMS, or otherwise, I hope that this conversation reminds you of the calling you felt in your heart to help people. Maybe the politics, coworkers, or even the job itself has gotten in the way and kind of frustrated you now, but try to remember the love you had at first, the desire to run toward the danger and help the helpless. One day, you'll be retired. And the bad parts of this job will be, you know, just a memory. And you'll look back at this job with pride because you were one of the very few who were willing to serve. If you liked what you heard here, please share this episode with a cop or someone who loves a cop. On the next episode of Hey Chaplain. I think few Americans have an idea of just how good we really have it in this country. Yeah. And and also just how good our police and law enforcement um, practices are. Again, they're far from perfect. And and I think all of us should want to be, you know, want to commit ourselves to find better ways to do it. Absolutely. But when when you look at countries where, for example, there's almost no police funding whereby, you know, there was one incident in the country I was living in when the president of the country basically said, we know we're, we're underpaying law enforcement. So, you know, we understand you have to make it up in tips. The views expressed here are the personal views of the hosts and our guests and do not necessarily represent the views of any law enforcement agency or its components. Thank you for listening today. And as always, pray for peace in our city.